Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Hallelujah. We, we, we honor the Lord Jesus Christ uh, this afternoon. We're thankful for his goodness, his mercy, uh, his loving kindness. And uh, we, how many of you agree with Jeremiah? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. With the Lord, you don't have to wait on the new year to start over so you can get another start. He said his his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness, they're new every morning, every morning. And so we just thank God for his uh, loving kindness and all of the great things that he uh, has done and is doing. I want to get right into the word of the Lord. Thank God for uh, Pastor Dr. Eric Mason, his great leadership, the elders, uh, deacons, saints and friends, all of you uh, who serve and worship. Uh, the Lord here at Epiphany Fellowship, we, we greet you in the wonderful name of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 100, uh, I'm, I'm going to read the first, well, all five verses. The message is, we are the sheep of his pasture, and I think uh, for this third message, I will just kind of subtitle it sheepish. Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. Let's read it together. You read it in your preferred version. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Psalm 100 is quite exclamatory about shouting. It is, it makes a strong case and a very strong claim that the people of God are to worship the Lord in a noisy way. Aren't you glad about a, a, a noisy church? I don't like churches that are just really really reserved and you know and I get it that people worship differently some people a little bit more reserved a little bit more laid back uh, but the overall vibrancy of worship for me is I, I like that I like to get into it how many of you feel like that you just feel don't, don't you know up tempo you know just just some real I mean nobody comes to church to feel sad right and 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 100 Psalm here makes the greatest case 
for shouting, for being noisy. Not that God is hard of hearing, but that we ought to be very, very expressive about our worship to the Lord. When it comes down to worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, Psalm 100 makes the greatest case that it is highly appropriate to crank up the volume. The five verses of this psalm are bursting from the seams with praise by employing a series of imperative verbs. As we look at the text, verse 1 tells us that we ought to shout. The Hebrew word for shout literally means to lift up your voice and proclaim praises unto him. That means that you got to get noisy with it. It doesn't mean shout in the cultural context where you're doing the Koja kickstep, <laughs> the river dance. <laughs> That's shouting in a different context. But this shouting is not the river dance. This is lifting your voice to proclaim his praise. Verse 2 says that we ought to come. That's another imperative. And what does it tell us to do uh, when we come? Come before him with joyful songs. And that includes all of us who are challenged in singing, including Jacquees. <laughs> we all ought to make a joyful noise. <laughs> Verse 3 says to acknowledge that the Lord is God. In verse 4, it tells us that we ought to bless his name. And we are compelled as the people of God to join in the high liturgy of singing praises in grand procession into God's temple. The imagery of Psalm 100 is that of a procession in honor of a triumphant king. This is a very royal affair. It is very high liturgy. It is a serious thing. The implications of this short psalm, which is only five verses, this short psalm rather, is very large for understanding the original purpose of the biblical faith. And, and that is that worship is universal in nature. You'll notice that the text opens up and says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly unto God. And so worship is a universal command. John Piper said in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he said that uh, worship or missions exist because worship does not. And so the, what he means by that is, is that the purpose of God is for all of his people to worship him. But because a good section of God's people are estranged in their relationship and their fellowship with God, missions and evangelism exist to bring people back into right relationship with God. Watch this, so that they can worship. 
Regardless of whatever your gift or whatever your individual sense of purpose is, the general purpose for all believers is that we're all worshipers. Nobody can get out of that, that we're all called to that. There, there are some things that all of us have been called to do. We've all been called to be a witness and we have all been called to worship. Psalm 100 is a call to all the nations of the world to worship God. Just like Psalm 117 and Zechariah 14, the assumption of this psalm is a world where the biblical worship system is in place over the entire world. Hang in there with me. Psalm 100 makes it very plain that the earth is to worship God and that there is no room, watch now, for segregation, no room for racism, no room for ethnic pride, that all human beings are created in the image and the likeness of God and all are to worship him as their creator. The second implication is Christological. That is, it points to the person and the work of Jesus. It speaks of the fact that we must have access to the Father uh, in order to worship him. You'll notice that the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. In order to be able to enter in, you must understand that this requires access to the Father. The New Testament solves that issue for us because our access to the Father is through Jesus Christ. There's an old story of a post-Civil War issue where there was a Confederate soldier uh, that was on the White, Ho the White House lawn uh, pacing back and forth and, 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 and looking uh, a little despondent. And a little boy approaches the soldier and asks him, he says, why are you down? Why are you so discouraged? And the soldier says, uh, because for the last couple of days, I've been trying to gain access into the White House to talk to the president about uh, what has happened to my land in the South after the war was over. This is my land. It was taken away from me. Uh, I am the rightful owner. And if I could just gain audience with the president, uh, perhaps I will be able to get it back. But every time I try to approach the White House, the guards are standing there with their bayonets crossed to ensure that I am unable to pass by. The little boy says to the man, the soldier, he says, just follow me. And the boy walks up to the soldiers and while they're standing there with their bayonets all crossed, immediately they pull their bayonets back and step back and the boy is able to walk past the guard. The soldier looking with complete surprise uh, is wondering how this is possible and the boy summonses the, the soldier and tells him, come on. And they proceed past the soldiers and they walk down a narrow hallway and the boy walks up to a door, opens it up, and the president is sitting right there.
The boy, you might wonder, who is this boy and how was he able to get past the guard and into the room where the president is? The boy was Tad Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln's son. And the reason that the soldier was able to access the president is because he went through the son. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father except he come through. That's theological there, through me. And so Jesus then is our access to the Father. In John 10 and 9, he says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and go out and find pasture. I want you to mark that word pasture because it is relative to the text that we have read. The Bible says that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So for the next few minutes, I want to talk about pasture life. What it is like being a part of God's pasture. What are the expectations? Why does God use the employ of sheep metaphor in order to describe the behavior of his people? In fact, here's some interesting facts. I'd like for you uh, to write them down. Here's an interesting thing. Sheep are mentioned in the Bible more than 500 times, more than any other animal in Scripture. The prominence of sheep in the Bible grows out of two realities. The first reality is, is that sheep was a... Uh, was, a very, was very important to nomadic life, to agricultural life, and the Hebrews, as well as many of the other uh, cultural ethnic groups in the ancient Near East, were also shepherds. So most of the Bible is set against the background of this kind of uh, agricultural type of life. The other important piece is that Sheep are used throughout the Bible to symbolically refer to God's people. The question, though, is why are sheep so important metaphorically uh, to God in terms of why he utilizes it and why he also utilizes the shepherd metaphor to refer to his son? And so here's a couple of things I want to point out about pasture living since we are the sheep of his pasture, that I believe is significant to understanding what the expectations are for us as God's people to live as part of what it means to be Christians and born again. Amen. And so here's an interesting thing, is that uh, animals all have different names, but just like animals have different names, so does groups of animals also have different names. Watch this. A group of apes is called a shrewdness. A group of giraffes is called a tower. Go figure. A group of hyenas is called a cackle. <laughs> a group of tigers is called a streak. A group of buzzards is called a wake. 
a group of crows is called a murder. A group of eagles, this is interesting, is called a convocation. A group of flamingos is called a stand. <laughs> a group of fish is called a school. And a group of ants is called a colony. Now this one, I don't want to put anybody out there, but a group of cockroaches is called an intrusion. <laughs> anybody know anybody with any intrusions in there? I was told years ago that when folks have their cups turned upside down in the cupboard, perhaps that was an indication of an intrusion. <laughs> now, we don't see much of those in our parts, thank God. But when I see one, I'm up all night because I don't want to see the second one. The second one is indicative of an intrusion. What else do we have? A group of flies is called a business. A group of locusts are called a plague. A group of owls, wise as they are, is called a parliament. Well, we have a Congress, perhaps that explains. <laughs> but a group of goats is called a trip. A group of sheep is called a flock. Of all the names that God could have chosen to describe the grouping of his people, God chose to call us his flock. Why is that? The first thing that I've noticed about sheep, and all this is researchable, all this is researchable, none of this is sensational, all this is scientific fact. Here's one thing that I think, and this is kind of me in my theology of sheep here. His, this, is, this is my theory here. One of the things I know about sheep is that sheep are the only animal, get this, the only animal that a human will die for. The only animal that a human will die for. Otherwise, animals die for humans. But a sheep is the only animal that an actual human will die for. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Watch now. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It was Jesus' voluntary death that actually protected and freed his sheep from the harm of sin. Now, somebody said, oh, but that's theological. I don't know if that would actually play out in reality. Well, you remember reading about David as the shepherd, and you remember reading about him fighting a bear and a lion? Who do you think he was trying to save? And keep in mind that in order to fight them, in order to protect the sheep, he had to be willing to put his own life on the line. They're the only animals that humans will actually die for. Somebody says, oh, but, but a dog is a... Is, is a man's best friend. But you don't get the dog so that the, you would die for the dog. You get the dog so the dog would die for you. All right? Watch let somebody be down in the basement and see if you don't send Buster down there to see what's, see what's up. You ain't going down there unless it's the movies and you going down there with a flashlight. Who's there? You know, the, you know how Hollywood, that dumb stuff, no, no weapon, no any. Who's down there? 
But if Buster's in the house, you sending Buster down there. And let any harm come to anybody, it's coming to Buster, not you. You don't die for Buster, Buster dies for you. But sheep are the only animals that a human will die for. Second fact is this. Sheep are the only animal that require human leadership. Do you know any other animal that requires human leadership? Dogs can run in packs. They can do their own thing. Ants, even the Bible said they don't need a leader. Now they got a queen, but the queen's not their leader. The queen is the one that produces the babies. She doesn't fight or anything. They've got that colony so organized. You've got soldier ants. Those are the first people that you get to when you scratch that mound. A million of them are going to come out and fight. They've been born to do that. They don't know anything else but bite the first person that scratches the mound. And then you got the feeders. Those are the faithful ones. They will go a mile away, find bread, and none of them stop off and eat the bread on the way back. They know, get the bread, bring it back to the, bring it back to the hut, and, and, and that's it. They don't need leadership telling them to do that. But watch now, people do need leadership. And just like people who are sheepish, Sheep also are the only animals that require human leadership, making them a perfect metaphor to describe his people. Here's a couple of other facts that I think are very important as to understanding us as the people of his, of his pasture. There's a third fact, write this down. Sheep are known to have poor eyesight, but excellent hearing. And so the peripheral vision and visual field of a sheep is about 270 to 320 degrees, which means that on the side of their head, they can see good. And even a little bit behind them, but not in front. Their ability to see directly in front because of where their eyes are positioned and their, their visual field, they are not very good at knowing what is in front of them. So they don't depend on what they see, they depend on what they hear. Could it be that this is why Jesus says that my sheep know my voice and the voice of another they will not follow. They're not depending upon looking at the shepherd. They are depending upon knowing his voice. For the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. So what does this mean? As sheep of his pasture, we are to live by the word of God. I'm not saying that God is, is, is individually speaking to you in an audible sense, but what I am saying is that the word of God is the voice of the Lord. And it is the word of God that provides us the direction by which we walk. So we're not walking necessarily by what we see. We're walking by what we hear. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. So they have an excellent sense of hearing, but their sense of hearing is also problematic because it makes them extra and hypersensitive to really, really loud noises. And so as a result, they become afraid. This is where the Psalm in 23 says that he leads them beside calm water because they become easily flustered, so forth and so on. 
They also have an excellent sense of smell. I want you to write this down because this is really important. This is another sense that causes them to be able to know without sight the difference between a predator and the shepherd. They can smell it. There's a sense of smell that they rely on. Now, as people of God, have you ever heard somebody say that, you know, uh, uh, oh, it was, a, it was a, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing? Have you ever heard that before? That's highly improbable in the real world. Is, is that a wolf doesn't want, a wolf has no interest in putting on sheep's clothing. That's, that's of no benefit to the wolf. Do you know what the wolf would want to do? Would want to put on shepherd's clothing. <laughs> See what I mean? If you, want to, if you want to have maximum impact of damage and, and to literally, to really lead sheep astray, you don't want to become like a sheep. You want to become like a shepherd. Yeah. But, but so, so what, is this, what is this saying to us as the people of God? Number one, it's telling us that all of God's people ought to have a level of discernment to understand when they are being led rightly and when they are being led astray. You ought to be able to know when a person is teaching you sound doctrine and whether they're teaching you false doctrine. You ought to have discernment. That is that sense of smell. The ability to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is truth and what is error, what is of God and what is not of God. God's sheep have a sense of discernment. They are not fooled by predatory wolves and false teachers. They have an excellent sense of hearing and, and smell. But here's a couple of other things I think that are really important. You ever notice, because we talk about it all the time, we always talk to folks, oh, that's why I don't go to church now. It's always, it's just political. It's always a fight in church. Folks, are, you know, there's that old infamous deacons meeting where, you know, deacons come into the meeting with baseball bats and all kinds of stuff. And folks, but, but listen, here's the thing. Anywhere where people gather, especially in the church, there are going to be certain kinds of struggles from time to time. Here's the interesting thing about pasture life. The, the sheep that have horns, those are rams. Those that don't, the females are called ewes. The rams are usually from time to time getting into head-butting contests. And so the idea is, is that there is power in the pasture. But every now and again, one ram wants to make sure that he marks out his territory and marks out his dominion and he starts headbutting. That's where the struggles come from. But power in the pasture is not for you to exercise how powerful you are, but it is a way to demonstrate how powerful he is. And so we are not leading from a place of power. We are leading from a place of influence. Because all of us, including the leaders, are the sheep of his pasture, right? So we're not to abuse power and authority. Sheep are best known, mark this down, this is the fifth point, for their strong flocking instinct. What does this mean? They will run from what frightens them and they will band together in large groups for protection. In fact, this flocking instinct is their only means of protection. 
There is safety in numbers. It is harder for a predator to pick a sheep out of a group than to go after a few strays. In addition to serving as a protection mechanism against predators, this flocking and following instinct enables humans to care for large numbers of sheep. When you isolate yourself, not only do you open up yourself for greater vulnerability to attack, but you make it more difficult to be cared for. When you are afraid, the thing is not to run, it is to band together. There, 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 there is greater strength, greater protection, greater comfort and encouragement in coming together, not isolating yourself. Have you ever wondered why when you get discouraged, one of the first things that the enemy wants to put in your mind is to isolate yourself? Go away, run away. Nobody cares for you. And here's what the enemy will do if you listen to him. The enemy will, will, will trick you into staying away from the church for three weeks as a test to see if anybody calls you. <laughs> the enemy, come on. That's what he'll say, stay away from the church for three weeks. See if they call. If they don't call, they don't love you. They don't love you. <laughs> and then people say, and then three weeks becomes four and five. And then you start saying, they, they, they don't let, listen, people can't care for you if you're not around. Being in, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some are. Watch now, but so much the more as we see that day approaching. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more often we should come together, not less. So when you, when you have those opportunities, not just Sunday morning, but you have those opportunities for small group. Get in those groups because I'm telling you, you will get stronger by getting in fellowship with the rest of God's people. Now, I'll be honest. I grew up just like many people. I had to fight all the time. That was just a fact of where I grew up. I had to fight probably every day. And, and there were many fights that I won. I'm not going to, you know, try and paint a, a false story here. There was... <laughs> There were fights that I won and there were fights that I lost. There were people that I could bully because you know who you could bully and you know who you can't bully. Crazy folks that have any kind of sense of knowing the difference in that. Some folks are just crazy. But I wasn't crazy, so I know who I could get away with bullying, but I also knew that there were certain people who could bully me and get away with it. Right? So, so you know, coming up in school, there was always that 3 o'clock, meet me out back in school, you know, some, some of those situations, you couldn't wait for it because it was an opportunity for you to take advantage of it. But then there were other situations where you were sweating bullets and seemed like 3 o'clock came as fast as it possibly could. You know, and it, you know, meet me 3 o'clock, you know. And uh, so there were situations where I was in that kind of situation and was, and was afraid, not knowing how the thing was going to turn out, knowing that the chances were three or four people were going to jump in the situation. That's, that's how it was for me growing up. Pe people would jump on you. Three people, four people, right? Now, was I afraid? Absolutely. But then there were times where I would see my cousins and my friends and other people that I knew were on my team. And then all of a sudden now, what's happening? What's going on? And so you start getting this courage and you start getting this strength. And what's the difference? Listen to this. What's the difference? Did you have any great ability to fight in that moment? Absolutely not. 
But what you do have is reinforcement. What you do have is other people that have your back. And notice how in a situation like that, there are some people who are drawing courage and strength from knowing how many people are with them in a situation that when they were alone, they were fearful. And that's what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to get you isolated so he can bully you. But folks don't get bullied when they come to church. Why? Because you got some big brothers and some big sisters that can fight with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so sheep understand that when predators are around, they understand not to isolate themselves, but instinctly they band together. What's another thing? I'm almost done. Listen. Changes in sheep behavior can be an early sign of illness. The most obvious example of this relates to sheep's most natural behavioral instinct, which is flocking. When a sheep or a lamb is isolated from the rest of the flock, it is likely showing early signs unless it is lost of illness. It is a scientific fact that sheep, when they are out to pasture or when they are being led, the ones that drift further and further and further to the back are usually sick and as an instinct to not become a contagion, they start drifting away from the group to not pass it. They don't understand that, but it's an instinct that they do. I find it interesting that there is a parallel behavior that you often find in church. When believers are not spiritually well, they start drifting away from the group. Analyze, ask yourself certain questions. Why am I falling further and further behind? What's going on with my desire to come together with the house of the Lord? Why do I feel like I just don't want to go this week and next week I feel the same way and the week after that? What's happening spiritually in my life that's causing me to feel like, like I need to drift further and further away? That is an indication of bad spiritual health. Here's another interesting thing about sheep. Sheep are known for their appetite. Sheep have five stomachs, not one. Five different chambers in their stomach. Each chamber in their stomach relates to the kind of diet uh, that they need in order to be sustained. I think this correlates very well with the fact that churches and believers cannot survive only off of, have you ever been to a church that's just a praise and worship church? They don't have no solid word there, but I mean, they're just dancing all the time. Listen, you can't survive off of one, one meal. One type of food. And then you got some churches, they're really good on, on evangelism. But, but, but then the, the worship is dry. You understand what I'm saying? Then you got some churches that are, that are really solid in the word. I mean, theologically sound, exegeting the text, expository preaching. 
but the worship is dry and there's no evangelism. <laughs> and you're like, boy, this is a, you know, frozen church here. Right? But sheep have five stomachs. This is an indication that our diet needs to be balanced. Not just one and not the other, but all of these things are essential to the well-keeping of God's people. We need evangelism. We need to be uh, missional. We, we obviously need to worship and praise, but we also need the word of God. We need fellowship. We need giving. All of these different things are critical to our spiritual health. But one of the differences, though, between sheep and goat is in the kind of food they eat. You say that you belong to the Lord, but if your diet is similar to what goats eat. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Goat and sheep are not the same thing. They may even look alike. Matthew 25 and 33 in the eschaton, in the messianic kingdom, the Bible says that Jesus would take the sheep and put them on his right and put the goat on his left. Goat are described in scripture as unbelievers. Sheep are described in scripture as being God's people. So there's a difference. Here's another difference. Is, is that the way that sheep sound is drastically different from the way that goats sound. A sheep, what kind of sound do they make? Anybody know? There you go. With a B. With a B now. With a B. <laughs> and goats say, man. <laughs> right? You see that difference? The B and the M? It's a difference. It's a different word. What am I trying to say? Church folks talk differently <laughs> than worldly people do. Christians talk differently we've got a different conversation why because we have different affections we've got a different love we've got a different loyalty we've got a different focus a different perspective we've got different goals and ambitions so our conversation is different out of the abundance of the heart the bible says the mouth speaks and so oftentimes instead of being sheepish we're being goatish my wife is from Jamaica, so it's not, when I go to Jamaica, it is not strange to see goat everywhere. Especially if you're in the country, they call it the bush, right? So you're walking around, I mean, you're literally walking, there's a goat right on the side of the road, just standing there. You go up a little further, there's another goat. And you may be thinking, who do these goats belong to? They're just, just standing out here. But these goats belong somewhere. But here's the thing, goats will wander off. They are very curious, so forth and so on. The difference between, however, a sheep and a goat is that a sheep will not wander off. They understand that their protection is being near and being close, so they're easily led as opposed to goat, which are very rebellious, very curious, and hard to keep in the pen. I want you to ask yourself, what kind of Christian am I? Is it... I, I mean, be, be honest. Is it easy for leaders to lead me spiritually or is it difficult? Am I, real, am, I, am I sheepish in terms of my willingness and my desire to work together with God's people? Or am I always trying to wander off 
away from the flock. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have independence and all that other stuff, or we don't have differences in the way our personalities. I'm not saying that, but in a general sense, sheep have a stronger flocking instinct and they get agitated when they are separated from the group. In my closing, I'll say this. Whenever a sheep finds itself on its back, it's a condition called being cast, C-A-S-T. Because a sheep's survivability depends upon gravity. When a sheep is on its back in a cast position, it cannot breathe properly and will die in less than 30 minutes. You might say, well, why doesn't it just roll over? Because it can't. It has to be helped. It has to be turned over and put up on its legs. And this is a warning to us as Galatians chapter 5, if any man is overtaken in a fault, you with your spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourselves. Listen, at any time, any of us could find ourselves cast. And instead of looking at that person and why don't they just get up? What's wrong with them? Why don't they just stand on their own feet? They've been down there long enough. You've got to understand that that sheep doesn't, can't get up on their own, but they can if you put a hand out. God has created, God has created within pasture living a system of restoration and reconciliation that when we find each other cast in a certain way, we reach out and we pick those persons up. We don't leave them down there because if they stay on their back long enough, they're going to die. Considering yourself, lest you're cast, lest you are on your back lest you can't get up. Somebody that's, stroke, somebody that's, that's weak can't, can't get up. Somebody that, that, that's lacking in strength can't help themselves without the help of God's people, without you lending a hand, lending a prayer, being a support uh, for that person. And so when we look at the similarities there uh, between the metaphor of being a sheep and what it is to be within the pasture of God's people. We understand that, well, that is an excellent metaphor to choose because so much of God's expectation of us as a people of God is very similar to the way that sheep live every day. In case you, you, you read too far into it, he did say we are his people. <laughs> So, so that we don't read too far in the metaphor. But he likens us, ish, when something, when there's an ish on the end, it is like in character. It is a simile, a metaphor, if you will. We are the sheep of his pasture, metaphorically. The way we ought to live is very, very similar to what shepherds expect from sheep every single day. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. 
you can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.